For some people it's fun, but for others it's not. There is a mathematical principle at work in the Kingdom of God. It is the principle of multiplication. Join us and our lead pastor Brian Lane for the last message in our series, The Blessed Life, as we talk about the principle of multiplication. The week that spring break starts, a lot of people are gone, and so I figured the Sunday before that, the attendance would be higher, and so they would hear this message because that message I really wanted the church to hear. Well, there's more people here this Sunday than there was last Sunday, so either A, you're telling me you didn't want to hear what I really needed to tell you, or B, you were disappointed we weren't getting to the blessed life last week, and so I'm not sure which it is, but we have to go back two weeks in time um, in order to, uh, to get to the message that we had previously in this series, and two weeks ago, Jesus was at a party. He was at a party, he was hanging out, he was chilling, he was uh, doing his thing, and this woman named Mary came to him and anointed him with this special perfume called nard. She came and she dumped it on his feet. And we found that this bottle was worth a day's worth of wages, which for her, as well as for us, is a large amount of money. No matter how you slice it, whether it's a year's worth of wages today or a year's worth of wages 3,000 years ago, a year's worth of wages is still a year's worth of wages, and so it was a whole lot of money. Well, Judas, in watching this activity, got kind of upset. He got kind of bothered by it. He didn't think that this was the best use of this nard. Instead, he felt that this should have been taken and sold and gotten this year's worth of wage and had it put in the money pot, pot to help the poor. But the only poor person that, uh, that he was actually wanting to help was himself, okay? Um, it says that he used to go into the safe all the time and take money out and go and spend it on what he wanted to spend it on. And so in looking at this whole story and looking at this whole event, the question that came from this event revolved around the issue of generosity. And so we took a deeper dive and looked at a couple of things connected to generosity. And the first thing that we saw was that uh, selfishness is the enemy of generosity, Judas was looking at the perfume that was poured on Jesus' feet from a purely selfish perspective. The only thing he wanted to figure out was how he could get the money from that bottle into his pocket. Okay, that was Judas's only concern in this situation. But Mary, on the other hand, for some reason, took this incredibly expensive bottle of perfume and just kind of dumped it out and poured it out. She was incredibly generous with what God had given her. Why was she so generous? Her perspective was different. She was generous because of what God had done for her. Not only was she generous, but she was extravagantly generous. She gave to Jesus something, years, uh, worth something, gosh. She gave to Jesus something worth a year's wages. There, we got that out. That would be extravagant to anyone, right? Um, but the amount isn't important and doesn't matter. See, what's important is the heart behind the amount. That's what's most important. And there was illustrated in our thing with the disciples one time and Jesus hanging out at the temple and this woman came along with two small coins and she took her two small coins and she put them in the offering, two small pennies. And Jesus said that that woman has given more than anyone else because those two pennies was all that she had to live on. And so that just shows the picture of it's not how much we give, it's the heart behind what we give that matters, that counts, that's important. And, um, and Jesus, um, that's what he's looking for is people with the heart in the right place. And why, why, people give such, why do people give such extravagant gifts to God? Because they, when they give all, this lady gave all that she had to live on, and that's what happens when God has a hold of our heart and our life. 
will go to crazy lengths and do wild things to express that extravagant love to him. And really, that is Mary's story too. How so? Well, we saw in this that two months before, um, um, Mary had done this to Jesus. What had happened to Mary was she had a brother. His brother's name was, uh, her brother's name was Lazarus. And Lazarus had gotten sick. He'd gotten sicker and sicker until finally he died. They actually prepared his body for burial and put it in a tomb. And this was difficult for Mary and her sister Martha. Why? Because they were two single women. See, back then, single women did not have a happy, a joyful existence. There was no jobs that single women could go out and get. There was no career. There was no way that they could feed themselves and take care of themselves unless they turned to some shady stuff in order to do that. And see, that's the life that Mary and Martha were looking at when their brother died. They were looking at a life where they were going to maybe have to turn to some shady things in order to make ends meet, but then along comes Jesus, and Jesus comes into their town, and he walks up to their brother's tomb, and they say, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus rises from the dead and walks out of the tomb. And the thankfulness that Mary had in her heart because of what Jesus had done for her, the only way she could express this was through being extravagant in her gift to Jesus by pouring this perfume worth a year's wages on his feet. But what we concluded with was that we saw that Lazarus' story is our story too. Because you see, when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, Jesus came and he died and he rose again so that he could take us from death into life. So that he could move us from being dead in our sin to being alive. And so that expression of generosity, this extravagant generosity that we see in the life of Mary, should be something that's ours as well too. Because of what we've experienced and what we've seen. And so let's move on to today and our last week in this series. And we're going to talk about the principle of multiplication. How many of you like multiplication? A couple of people. All right. How many of you don't like math, period? And you just really don't want to talk about that today. Well, <laughs> I'm a math person. Um, before, I get, before I became a Christian, I was actually a math major at the University of Minnesota. Um, I actually have, uh, I've taken through Calculus 6. Uh, some of you didn't even know that was such a thing. The only thing that I was missing, actually, from getting my math major was uh, one year of theoretical calculus, and uh, I did not, of course, take that because Jesus stepped in. Maybe he didn't want me to go through the pain and suffering of a year of theoretical calculus. I don't know, but he stepped in, and he saved my life, and he called me and put me in a new direction, but I will say this. I do really like math, and there's a reason why I really like math. It's because you always have a right answer. Okay? It doesn't matter what the problem is. There's a right answer to the problem. There isn't like several answers that we get to choose from when solving a math problem. Two times two. What is two times two? Four. Everybody knows it's four. If somebody were to yell out eight, what would we do? We'd turn around and throw tomatoes or something at them, right? Because they don't know what they're talking about. You know, ten times three is always thirty. These things, you guys hesitated. Was that too, was that too, uh, 
Was I up too high on the level of multiplication there? Um, but see, these things always work out. And I think even if we don't like math, we like it when math works in our life, right? How many of you like it when you open up your bank account on that day that you get paid and see your employer has added into your bank account? Do we have excitement there? Yes. Everybody likes that day, right? Or how about the day when somebody finally goes grocery shopping at the house and you open up the refrigerator and food has been added to the refrigerator? Nobody else struggles with that? At our house, we always never have food. I don't know. Um, Or how about the breadsticks at Olive Garden? You go to Olive Garden, the breadsticks just multiply, don't they? The basket's empty, then bam, the basket's full. We like that kind of math, right? Well, do you know who else loves math? God. I mean, first of all, he was the one who invented all of the math that we have today, and so, and so he loves math. But uh, besides that, there is math all over the Bible. And one of the biggest principles that we find in the kingdom of God is the principle of multiplication. And when I say that, I'm not talking two times two equals four or ten times three equals 30. I mean, that's something that we can all memorize because no matter what we do with it, no matter how we write it, the answer is still the same. Two times two can never equal 14. It's just not possible. However, in God's math, sometimes the impossible is very possible. And that's where the law of multiplication comes in. And we're going to be into one of the most we're going to be in one of the most famous multiplication texts in the Bible. We're going to be looking at the feeding of the 5000. This is one of the few events found in all four of the gospel accounts. It's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be looking at the one in Luke, which is in chapter 9 of the book of Luke. And so if you're familiar with Luke and where chapter 9 is at, you're welcome to turn there. Uh, this morning Luke is the third book in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. However, if you uh, are just not familiar with it, don't worry, we'll have it on the screen behind me uh, for you to follow along with this morning. And we've been in Luke's writing for the past couple of weeks, and so I'm not going to say too much about Luke, we're not going to talk about him, but there is one difference between the book of Acts where we're at last week and the book of Luke, okay? As we said last week, the book of Acts, part of that book, Luke was actually there, and so we've got these we texts where he was there, where he was uh, alive, where he was a part of the event. Well, in the book of Luke, we have none of that. Luke was not there for any of the events that he writes about. However, it tells us in chapter 1 of the book of Luke, that he had researched this thoroughly. He gathered sources. He tells us that he carefully investigated and wrote down all of the information that he got before he put it into book form. And so this was something that Luke had investigated before he wrote it down in chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 17, and this is what it says. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we were going to go buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. 
Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. All right, see, this is one of those crazy events when I read this, at least to me. I look at this and I say, this event is crazy. This is something that I, like, actually want to see happen, right? Does anyone else want to see God multiply food at some point in time? I mean, as a matter of fact, the, the first missions trip I went on was to a, a place in Mexico where this church had uh, actually seen something like this take place. They were going into the dumps to minister on Christmas Day, and they decided that they were going to take food to feed the people that were living in the dumps in Mexico. Mexico, and so they, their plan was to take 100, enough food for 100 people with them into the dump. And so they went into the dump, they set up, they got ready for 100 people. Well, before you knew it, they had 1,000 people in line waiting to eat. And as the story goes, as they told it, that they had hams. And so they said that literally they would slice the hams, they would take four slices off of the ham, and the ham would never get smaller. The ham just stayed that size until they had fed all 1,000 people. And I just remember hearing that and going, I have got to see this. And so this is, I said, I got to go on a missions trip there. And so that was my first missions trip to this place. Unfortunately, I didn't see any food multiplied, which was kind of a disappointment. Um, but, uh, but, you know, um, it kind of opened the door to missions anyways. But, uh, but, yeah, it's one of those things that I would really like to see. Well, in this event here, uh, here's what's going on. Jesus, at the beginning of chapter 9, sends out his disciples to do some ministry, okay? So he says to his disciples, look, go out, heal the sick, uh, 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 cast out devils, and, uh, and, do all kind, and preach the word. That's the instructions that Jesus gave to him. And so his disciples, they head out into the countryside, right? And they just start going from town to town and village to village, healing the sick, casting out devils, and, and, and talking about who Jesus is and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And as they go from city to city, you can imagine what would go on if this were to happen here. Somebody going from city to city and just watching sick people get healed and crazy things are going on in the spiritual realm, lives being changed. Well, what happens is these people start to follow the disciples. And so when the disciples head back to where Jesus is at, they've got this huge crowd with them. The text says 5,000 men. And when they say 5,000 men, they literally mean 5,000 men. So that means everybody else that came with them was extra on top of the 5,000. And what they estimate, you may have heard this before, but what they estimate is that there was like 20,000 people, including wives and children, that had made this journey out into this remote area where Jesus was at, and they were all just following the disciples because of the incredible, powerful things that they saw happen and take place when the disciples came to their town. And so they wanted to see the man who sent these guys out to do these powerful things. And so the crowd shows up, and so what does Jesus begin to do? He begins to teach the crowd. I want you to think about this, though. It says that when the events that transpired took place, it was late in the day. So I want you to imagine the church service there starting at 10.30 in the morning. And Jesus got up and started preaching, and he preached, and he preached, and he preached some more, and he preached some more. He said, in closing, and then he continued to preach. And then he said, in closing again, and he continued to preach. And then he said, in closing again, and he continued to preach. Well, at some point in this whole thing, the disciples got a little bit disturbed. 
And so it looks like the disciples met together and they said, man, we have got to stop Jesus. The man won't shut up, okay? He just keeps preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. And so they're like, I got it. Let's go to Jesus and tell him that the crowd is hungry. If you were to read in the text in chapter 9, it actually says the disciples hadn't eaten anything before we started this whole thing. And so what the disciples, I think, were doing was going, man, my tummy is rumbling. I bet you theirs are too. We got to do something about this. And so what do they do? They go, let's, okay, let's tell Jesus that. Let's go to Jesus and say, look, the crowd is hungry. Let's land this plane and finish the service. Okay, great plan. So they go to Jesus and Man, Jesus, man, these are some powerful truths that you've been teaching us in this time that we've been standing out here for hours. We're thinking that these truths are so powerful that what we need to do is we need to dismiss the crowd, tell them to go someplace with their family, and they need to have a small group discussion about the incredible things that you've been teaching us today. Jesus, what do you think about that? We should probably do that now because, you know, the restaurants in the area, it's getting late. They're probably going to close soon, and we don't want this time of powerful ministry to be impacted. And so let's send the families away so that they can do this. And Jesus, without missing a beat, looks at them and says, what? You give them something to eat. I'm sure that the disciples were a little bit stunned, right? Because of all the possibilities they considered, I'm sure they never considered the possibility of Jesus saying to them, you feed all of these people. I mean, I'm putting myself in that spot, okay? And if Jesus had turned to me and said, you feed all of these people, there's some words that would go through my head that I probably can't say in church, Because it's like, are you crazy, Jesus? So the disciples are desperate. So Andrew sees a kid with a lunch. Give me that. Snatches the boy's lunch right out of his hands. That's how desperate they were. They just grabbed some kid's lunch. He opens up the bag, and there's five loaves and two fish in this lunch bag. That's all they had, so they rolled with it. And I personally think this is what happened. They're like, we're going to show that, Jesus. We're going to take him these five loaves and two fish. You know, kind of like mocking, making fun of Jesus and being a little smart when they brought it to him. Here, we got your food, you punk. But what does Jesus do with this? He tells the disciples, okay, we got this. Have the people sit down in groups of 50. He takes the bread and fish He prays for it and then breaks it. I mean, this had to be equally as humorous because picture his 12 disciples standing in front of him with five loaves of bread and and two fish. And so he's got the 12 in front of him and he breaks the bread. So he gives Peter a half a loaf of bread and then rips off a sixth of a, a filet of fish. Okay, a chunk of fish like maybe this big, right? Hands it to Peter. Gives another half of a loaf to James and another sixth of a piece of fish. And then he says to him, okay, now that it's been blessed and it's been broken, go on out and feed the crowd. How would you feel if you had a chunk of fish like this and a half a roll of bread in your hands and you're going to a group of 50 people and saying, okay, here's your lunch, guys. You ready to eat? 
I mean, what would you be thinking? Okay, everyone gets a crumb of bread like this, and you get a little piece off of the fish, you know, this little chunk of fish. I mean, literally, that's what I think most of us would be thinking with a half a loaf of bread and a sixteenth of a fish with 50 people, 20,000 overall, gathered there. But what does God do? What does Jesus do? This little meal became a big meal for 20,000 people with enough left over for 12 basketfuls of fish and bread, which coincidentally happens to be the same amount of disciples that Jesus had. He wanted to make sure they didn't go hungry. So what does this event teach us about God's multiplication? So I want to touch on three things that I see here. And the first one is this. Before anything can be multiplied, it needs to be blessed by God. See, the disciples took the fish and the bread to Jesus, and Jesus blessed it before they went to the crowd. I mean, everybody was hungry. Everybody was ready to eat. They wanted to eat, but before any of that food could be handed out, it had to be blessed by Jesus. And see, when we're looking at our lives, when we're looking at who we are as people and what's happening with us, we have to look at, as we've been talking about this whole time, with the resources that God has given us and put them into this perspective and into this picture. See, God has given us resources. He's given us our time. He's given us our talents. He's given us our finances. And we need to remember with those things because so much of the time we are asking God's blessing and God's hand upon our time, upon our talents, and upon our finances. But uh, some of the time we don't like to take it to God to have him bless it so that he can multiply it. But we need to remember that it's not going to multiply unless God has already blessed it. God, I need more time. God, I need you to increase my talents. God, I need you to move in my finances. How do we get those blessings on our resources? We talked about it a few weeks ago. Do you remember how to get the blessings of God on our time, talent, and treasure? It's through giving the first part of it away. See, the benchmark that we discovered in the first couple of weeks of this series was taking what God has given us and offering the first fruits to him of regardless of what those areas are. And that's how we end up with God's blessing on our resources. Just think if the disciples had gone out and just started giving the food to the people before Jesus had blessed it. What would have happened? Nothing would have happened. A few people would have gotten a few scraps of food, a few bites of fish, and most would have gone hungry. See, in far too many times, we try to keep the blessing that God has for us because we are in too big of a hurry to eat. We think that if we don't eat ours first, we're not going to make it. But if we want to reach the level of multiplication that God has for us in our life, we have to change our thinking and realize that even though the math doesn't work, God's math is different than our math. See, God will take our five loaves and our two fish as long as we come to him first and do what we need to do to receive his blessing on it, and he will multiply them. 
I said this before, but you want God to multiply your time in your life so that you have more time to complete the things that you want to do? You have to start by offering the first fruits of your time to God and giving to him first. And then you're going to see multiplication in your own time. You want to see multiplication in your talents. The only way you're going to see your talents multiplied is if you take what you've got and bring it to God first. And then the same is true in our financial realm as well. We have to be giving the first to him and his kingdom Multiplication doesn't happen any other way. The second thing, it's connected to the first thing, and it's this. Multiplication only happens when we give away what is multiplied. Think about this. What if the disciples had decided they were going to eat first? What would have happened? There wouldn't have been any multiplication there, would it? When did the multiplication actually happen? When the disciples gave it away. That's when the multiplication took place. See, a lot of times what we think of, when we think of multiplication, is we think, well, I'll do this so that God can multiply it so that I can get even better back. That's not how God's principles work. God wants us to take what is multiplied and continue to give it away. Because that's the way it gets multiplied, is giving it out. And I know that doesn't make sense. But the more we give away to what God is calling us to give it away for, the more it is multiplied. God wants us to be channelers of resources for his kingdom. That means that the multiplication will not come back to us. But the more that we give away, the more he will multiply it for us. And I see this principle playing out in my life on a regular basis. I continually add more things to my life. God keeps speaking to me about things, and I keep committing more and more time to the things that he's called me to commit to. And I know some of you are confused by that because um, you know I only work two days a week, and so you're wondering, don't I have all kinds of time because I've got five days off? I mean, I literally had my brother-in-law ask me that question one time. He's like, what do you do with five days off a week? And I'm like, bro, uh, okay. Um, but what I, I already have kind of, I live at the edge. Okay, that was interesting. I live at the edge of time sanity, okay? I really do. And God will speak to me about something, and I'll just say, okay, I'm going to do it. And I have people question me, how on earth do you think you're going to do that? But it's because this principle at work in my life, when God says to go ahead and do something, if I will commit the time to doing what he wants me to do and give away more of what I got, he multiplies back to me time. I'm always blown away at how this works out because it's like, you know, it's a struggle to, uh, to maintain because, um, you know, I, I'm off on Friday. Okay, that's my day off. 
and I was talking about this this morning. Nobody else is off on Friday, okay? My kids are at school, wife's at work, and so nobody else is off on, on Friday. And so I have to try and work to make sure I have one Saturday a month at least that I'm off so that we can do something together, whether it's Dana and I or me and the kids or me, Dana, and Aaron, whatever. We have to fight and we have to work for that. And I discover the more that I say yes to the things of God and what God is calling me to do as far as my time goes, um, the more I, I have opportunity to have a Saturday free in order to do those things. But see, we've got to. We've got to remember that it's, the, it, it's when we give our resources away, it's when we're giving it out that we see the multiplication from the kingdom of God. And that's what I see in my life. Now, this doesn't mean to jump into whatever. But if God speaks to you about something, God is going to bring the multiplication to our lives as long as we are willing to give whatever it is he's calling us to give. See, God told the disciples to bring him the food, and that's what happened. They brought it to the food they were willing to give. They were willing to give it out, and it multiplied, and it grew. And then finally, what we see here when it comes to multiplication is that we, we are the ones who are a channel for God's resources. Oh, wait a minute. I said that wrong. We are... If we are one who is a channel for God's resources, we will always end up with more than what we started with. In other words, we will see multiplication in our own life and situation if we are one who constantly gives out the resources that God has given us. Yeah, they fed 20,000 people, but it also says they picked up 12 baskets full afterwards. The disciples started with no food. And at the end of this deal, they got a whole basket of fish and bread, each and every single one of them. If we are willing to channel God's resources and continue to give out and give away, it is going to come back into our lives as multiplication in our own personal lives. We just have to remember that cannot be the goal, the point, or the reason why we are doing what we are doing. But ultimately, in the end, God is going to bring the blessings back upon us. And we will see increase in our own lives, in our own situations, in our own circumstances, if we are willing to allow that. And there's a missionary friend of mine, David Houck. He's been here to speak before on a Sunday morning. He like literally lives this out. The man gives everything out. I've never seen someone who gives away so much stuff. If God, if something comes to him, he just gives it out. I mean, I'm talking to him one time about he had $10,000 in his, his ministry bank account. And he felt like God told him to give away the whole $10,000. He hadn't paid any of his ministry's bills yet. But he took the $10,000 and he gave it away like God said. And like within a day or two, he had $25,000 come in. This man just gives away everything. And now he owns, uh, he's got a, a full campground in the middle of the Ocala Forest. He's got uh, uh, two buildings that he runs after school programs out of for the, the kids that live in those areas. He's got uh, vehicles. He's got buses. He's got a restaurant. He's got an old drugstore. And I could go on and on and on about how the multiplication comes to him. But it's because he has that faith and that belief in God 
that as long as he continues to give everything away, he's going to continue to see the increase in his life. That's how he lives his life. And you know what? Here's why that is so challenging for most of us. It's because it involves us living a life of faith where we look at our checkbook and God says, write that check for $10,000. And I say, that's all I've got in my bank account is $10,000. And God just says, do it. And we do it. Most of us wouldn't do that. I'd be thinking about, how am I going to pay my bills? Okay. How are we going to buy groceries? Uh, He doesn't think about those things. And God multiplies to him over and over and over again. But he's also seeing God do incredible things in the area in which he's ministering in. He's seeing lives changed. He's seeing people transformed. He's seeing kids in homes that both both parents are addicted to meth and and, uh, they're being saved and they're being set free. And he's seeing just incredible things because he is willing to allow this principle of multiplication to come into his life and ministry. And he allows God to use him in great things and in great ways. But if we want to truly have that really blessed life that we are looking for, the the principle of multiplication has to be a part of who we are. It has to be a part of our life. In living and trusting God to do what he says he's going to do in his word. And the truly blessed life is not the American dream, but it's a life where we see God's hand constantly on us moving and working and making a difference in our world. Because as we said in one of the previous messages, that's the only thing that's ultimately going to matter. Is when we get to heaven and we're standing before the throne of God and there's person after person after person lined up saying to us, I'm here because of you. That's going to be the ultimate goal, dream, and I hope heart of everyone who follows Christ in this room. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.